That is probably the most famous prayer in the world, the Lord's Prayer as we call it. Uh, for those of you online at home or in a hotel room or uh, in Florida, those of you who are chatting from Florida this morning, good morning. I hope to see you soon. We're in Saskatoon, cold, snow, Florida, warm, sunny. I said, I hope to see you soon. You all agree with me. Say, yeah, that'd be nice to be in warm, sunny weather. Let's try it again. Welcome to Florida. I hope to see you soon. Don't you agree? Yeah, Yeah, it'd be so nice to have some warm weather. And that was more overkill than the Florida viewers hope to be identified as, I'm sure. So, What's your fastest prayer you've ever prayed? Normally, it's in a car accident, right? Jesus, help me. Last week, I'm driving down 22nd Street, just minding my own business driving, and all of a sudden, somebody pulls out of the co-op gas station on Avenue D and turns in, not to their lane, not to the center lane, but to the far lane, like three lanes over, right in front of me. And I'm crying, oh, Jesus, as I hit the brake and steer, trying to miss, and thankfully, we missed and did not make that kind of contact, and we'll get to know each other a more healthier way, I'm sure, sometime. But uh, prayer is a pretty big topic in our world, and uh, whether you believe in it or don't believe in it, it's, a, it's kind of an overarching thing as people hit crises in life or difficulties, whether you believe in God or not, there's this whole aspect of what good is prayer, what is prayer, all that kind of, of discussion. If you were to go on Google, if you are taking notes on your phone or whatever, and you went on Google right now and typed in prayer, yesterday you would have had... Take a guess, how many hits of prayer, how many web pages would come up, do you think? It's in the millions. 771 million hits in 0.59 seconds yesterday on Google. Maybe it set its own record. But there's a lot of discussion, lots of thoughts on prayer, videos on prayer, books on prayer, news articles about prayer. And so uh, I hope you're enjoying our kickoff over this past week to 40 Days of Prayer and really want to encourage you to dig in and come along for the ride um, as we, as we uh, tackle the topic of prayer. And today we hope to blow up some myths and uh, some, some ways we maybe think that aren't totally accurate to what prayer is all about. A couple observations about prayer before we start. Hope you got your, your notes. You'll find there's, I make lots of lists today, but there's very few blanks. So uh, if you're, uh, most of your blanks will come up on the screen for you to, to fill out, and I'll give you some extra stuff to do on the sidelines or put into your, your uh, workbook. But one observation is that we're wired for prayer. God created us to pray. That's why there's more than just Christians praying. There's Buddhists, there's Muslims, there's Hindus, there's Jews, there's Christians, there's uh, New Age people. There's all sorts of different facets and sectors of society that have an aspect of prayer to their daily life and daily rhythm. There's even those who would say that they don't believe in God or uh, atheists. If they get themselves in big trouble or if, I, if somebody was to go up to them and trip them and they would hit the ground, there's a good chance that the first words out of their mouth would be, oh God, it's even a prayer, right? Where are you? Help me out. Everybody prays in some way, shape, or form, I would think. And when I say everybody, I just mean a lot. It's in every culture. 
And that's part of what makes us human. It's kind of wired into our DNA. Cows don't pray. Pigs don't pray. Horses don't pray. Worms don't pray. God wired it into those whom he wanted to have a conversational relationship with. Yeah, he created all the other beauty, but that's for him to enjoy. He created us for actual um, back and forth relationship. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has planted eternity in the human heart. You have an eternal soul. There's something much longer, much stronger than just what is within you for this short period of time. You have a natural desire and drive that thinks there's got to be more to it than this, or this can't be all there is, or is this, do I have to rely on myself? There's this innate desire that there's got to be something or someone more. So we're wired for it. The second observation is we're not very good at it. We're not very good at prayer. I get to preach at myself. This isn't the pastor observing and saying, hmm, you guys aren't very good at prayer, are you? No, this is a self-disclosure that I've been a Christian for about 42 years of my 47 years of existence, and it's been the biggest struggle in my whole walk. That you, you think you get it, get it going, and then you fall off the wagon, or you get discouraged, or something doesn't go the way you want, and then you stop, or you, you get messed up by all the different ways to pray. But I, I think nobody really knows how to pray or how to pray well. We don't feel confident. We don't feel adequate. And I get actually kind of nervous of the people that walk around saying that they are adequate or they do know everything or they're really good at it. It feels a little scary to me. If I was to ask, take a survey and ask somebody to volunteer and come up to pray at the end of service, there'd be very few volunteers, actually. Not a bunch of us are big fans to pray publicly. Some of you would fear that you might faint. But God doesn't want us to feel inadequate about our praying, whether in public or private. What word would you use to describe your prayer life or how you feel about your prayer life or how you approach your prayer life? There was a survey done a few years back, and these were the words that came up. You think about your word for a minute. How would you describe or approach your prayer life? Think about a word if you had to write it down on paper or write it down on your paper now. The majority of words that came back in this survey were things like frustrated, a feeling of being inept, unsatisfied, confused, don't understand how it works. It's a mystery. I need help. Very, little, very few people go around um, self-proclaiming that they have a PhD or a doctorate in prayer and that they've got it nailed down. I've never met anybody like that. Arguably the greatest Christian who's ever lived or walked on this earth after um, Jesus rose and went to heaven was St. Paul. And in Romans 8, 26, that saint the guy who wrote half the New Testament said this in Romans 8, 26. We don't even know what we should pray for, nor how we should pray. That's in the Bible. If Paul said that, it's good for us to admit that we can learn, that we can grow in this. The 12 disciples who hung out with Jesus and who went around with him for his entire ministry admitted that they didn't know how to pray. In Luke 11, verse 1, it says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. 
The disciples hanging out with Jesus, walking with them, going to the shore, going to the markets, going to people's homes. They've seen him raise the dead. They've seen him turn water to wine. They've seen him multiply food. And at the end of the day, they didn't say, God, teach us to do miracles. They said, teach us to pray. He preached in front of 5,000 people plus. He did small group teaching. He did one-on-one conversation. He did large group speaking. And what did the disciples say? Teach us to speak publicly well and argue well. Teach us to pray. It's a huge thing to go after. It's an important facet of our walk with Jesus. They had watched, and they knew that the power behind the miracles, the ability to have anything to say, was all based on relationship with God the Father. That's why there was prayer in place, and that's what they were recognizing. They were recognizing that Jesus was our pattern, and he is our model. And so if Paul didn't know how to pray, and the disciples are asking to pray, we need to pray. We need to learn to pray. And whether you've been a Christian for five months, five years, or 50 years, There's stuff to learn. There's stuff to take in. There's pillars and truths to remember about how we are to pray. Otherwise, in our own journey, if we just stay in our own kind of framework, we can get a little bit sideways. We can make not the main thing the main thing. And so this message today is let's go and get started in prayer and a beginner's guide to prayer. One thing that I've... uh, learned and seen on your notes there, our frustrations with prayer are caused by our misconceptions about prayer. Our frustrations with prayer are caused by our misconceptions about prayer. I just don't feel satisfied. I, there's there's a, so many phony baloney ideas of things you have to achieve or standards you have to get to in order to be able to pray well. There's lies, there's myths, there's misunderstandings, even legends within the church of, of how you pray. And so in these 40 days of prayer, hopefully over the course of time, you're going to see more of those faulty ways of thinking about prayer be blown up and undermined. And we're hopefully going to give some fresh and new and concrete uh, beliefs about prayer. But the first thing we're going to do is go after four myths about prayer. And I brought a few object lesson helpers today. So the first thing that prayer is not is that it's not a magic wand. And if you're wondering, I did make this one myself. You know all these kids, all these teenagers, and anybody got a spare magic wand in their closet? No, you got to make your own. (laughs) We We can think that prayer is a magic wand where you just touch something and all of a sudden everything changes. If I just pray in the right direction or at the right time, then all of a sudden, poof, everything's good. Or that prayer is like a a genie in a bottle that if you just rub it right and the genie pops out you sit and the genie stands in front of you and says, your wish is my command. And I say, good God, I'm glad you finally showed up. I will have this and this and this. And God gladly gives me what I want because prayer is simply a magic wand. But it's not. Magic wand has come with formulas and you're supposed to do everything right. Sometimes I think we as Christians can start talking in prayer as kind of an idea of a formula. The Bible teaches us that we're to pray in the name of Jesus. And so we end most of our prayers of, in the name of Jesus, amen. Right? 
How many times do you and how many times do I say that as a formula in hopes that we get the prayer answered rather than an acknowledgement or recognition or full understanding that what we're actually doing is praying with that authority? I think too often as believers, it's like, don't forget to pray in the name of Jesus. Why? So my prayer gets answered? Is it a formula? Is that, don't forget that so you get that? No, it's not really about that at all. It's rather after praying all this, we are acknowledging that there is authority that comes from Jesus. We are, believe we're praying in alignment with who he is. And so we're praying in his authority. And so we're coming not with the right formula to say something right. We're actually doing far more exceedingly abundantly above that. We're actually coming in power. In the name of Jesus is not a formulaic statement. It's a power statement. And we need to remember that, that that's what is undergirding our prayer. God, blah, 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 in the name of Jesus, boom, it's, it's with Jesus' heart behind it. We want to be praying in alignment with his will and who he is. But it's, prayer is not a magic wand, and that one is not for sale, even if you wanted one. Prayer is not a fire extinguisher. A fire extinguisher is pretty important. It says on uh, certain places where you find these, break, in case of, break glass in case of emergency so that you can get the fire extinguisher out. And when there's an emergency such as a fire, boom, you pull it out and you're bringing all your strength and all your power and you're blowing that fire out. But sometimes we can think of prayer like that. When there's not a fire, this thing just sits on the shelf and doesn't do anything. It only comes out in a fire emergency. Is your prayer life like that? Is my prayer life like that? Do we bring prayer out? Does it sit on the shelf for most of the time when things are going well? But we pull out prayer when there's a crisis. Oh God, my kid this. Oh God, my spouse that. Oh God, my boss this. Oh God, did you see my bank account lately? And we, put, we treat prayer as a fire extinguisher that's to be dealt with only when there's trouble. Part of that shows up sometimes too when we have a situation or we're working on something or trying to figure something out and we've talked to everybody and we've planned everything and we've made all the calls and all the emails and we figured things out or we've gotten sick and we've talked to the doctors and we've talked to this and we've made arrangements and all that kind of stuff and then at the end of it all when nothing has worked out I guess all there is now to do is to pray we treat prayer as a last resort Nothing else works, so now I really am in crisis, so now I really need prayer. God is inviting us to do the opposite. He's asking us to bathe everything in prayer so that we can talk to him, tell him about all our concerns and issues from the start, and then let him speak to us so that he can give us the encouragement we need, the direction we need, align our steps and tell us the direction that we need in order to see what the path forward should be. Let's not treat prayer as just something, well, there's nothing else I can do, let's pray. No, there's something coming. Let's pray and see what there is to be done. And reverse the order. It's meant to be your first, your first choice. Don't pray for the lemon that you bought. Pray that you don't get a lemon when it comes to cars. Pray before you go shopping. Whether that be for a, a car, a loaf of bread, or a date. <laughs> Mike, come help me again. From the first service. Prayer is not, you guys figure it out. Prayer is not a tug of war. You guys are on it. <laughs> prayer is not a tug of war. And what's a tug of war in the things of prayer? It's kind of a, 
give and take. Okay, God, you want that from me? I'll give you that area, but I, I need something back from you. And we kind of bribe back and forth, and we work it out, and we negotiate of, I'm willing to give this if you're willing to give that. But with God, give my volunteer a round of applause. Thank you. But with God, there is no pretty please saying it 92 times and hoping that God will answer. It's not about pulling back and forth and giving up enough so that you finally get enough favor from God and he sees that you're serious enough in order to answer your prayer. It's not a back and forth. It's not a tug of war. It's not a bargaining situation. And then finally, the, the fourth idea is that prayer is not medication to relieve guilt. Prayer is not medication to relieve guilt. As you can tell, I take a lot of guilt medication. That's a pretty big pill bottle right there. You got a headache, you toss back a couple Tylenol, and you go on with the day just to get rid of the pain. Even if there's an underlying problem, you're sleeping all cockeyed or got your neck out of kink and sorts, you'll just take that, and we don't always get to the, the root issue or figure it out. We just want the pain gone. And sometimes we view prayer as just something to deal with the pain to get us through the moment. Or in some traditions, if you were, you, if you were taught that sin was a really big deal, then you had to say a certain number of prayers to show your seriousness. That type of stuff isn't in the Bible. It may be in different religious traditions, but it's not what Jesus' heart for prayer is because prayer is not punishment for your sin. It's not like doing lines. Anybody here? No, don't put up your hand. Have to do lines in school. Prayer is not punishment for your sin. Prayer is not penance for your sin. Prayer is a privilege. It's not a duty. It's a joy. It's not some responsibility that you've got to pay back to, because you did something wrong. There's only confession. You can only acknowledge it and receive his grace. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, gives us a little picture of this. When you pray, do not use meaningless repetition, meaning saying things over and over. Do not use meaningless repetitions, thinking that you will be heard for your many words. Don't just say things and do things just because you think they're right. God is wanting, as we're going to go into it, he wants honesty and integrity. And so we're going to explode a bunch of misconceptions because we don't want you living under enormous guilt. We don't want you feeling pressure in what this gift of relationship is about. We don't want do, uh, prayer to be turned into a duty or an ought or a should, but rather a get to and I want to. And so today we're going to go from the four myths to the four truths or four pillars about prayer. So the first one is, God loves for me to talk to him. God loves for me to talk to him about anything. Just think about that for a second. God doesn't just want you to talk about your needs. He doesn't just want you to talk about spiritual things. He doesn't just want you to talk about something religious. He wants you to talk about what you're interested in. Well, that sounds kind of selfish, Pastor. I'm supposed to approach God with, Big lofty prayers and move mountains and lots of faith. Not just my piddly interests. No, that's where, that's where he wants to start. Why? Three quick things under this 
one point, and it's not your prayer is blanks. Just three quick things. First, he loves you. God loves you. You wouldn't exist if God hadn't wanted to love you. He created you for that purpose. It's the reason that you're alive. And when you love somebody, you're interested in what that person is interested in. Guess where I took my wife shortly after we started dating? Agribition. <laughs> and for those of you in another part of the province don't know what agribition is, it's the famed agricultural show at the end of November that was always a highlight to skip school. I missed a week of school for like grade 7 to grade 12 to go show cattle. And so I'm really interested in cattle. As you know, when you smell a farm, you smell money. That's what I tell my kids. Because <laughs> cows are money if you get to own any, generally. So what did my wife do? All of a sudden, she's interested in the different breeds of cattle and the names of this and what's that and, and uh, what, what's a cow, heifer, bull, steer, all these interesting terms that all usually get lumped up in the term cow for some people. She was interested in what I'm interested because... She's got good taste and fell in love with me. Amen. That part wasn't in my notes. I just threw it in there for free. So when you love somebody and you're interested in that, where, in regards to our relationship with God, pardon me, where do you think those interests came from? If God loves you and he created you and he designed you, there's a good chance those interests come from you, from him, pardon me. So God loves you, and the interests come from him. Those things that are your hobbies, your sports, your interests, the vocations that you love and have gone after, where in the world did you get those desires? I didn't have a desire to become an accountant. I didn't have a desire to become a rocket scientist. There's people that love that stuff and everything in between. He gave us those desires. They didn't come out of thin air. And if God made you with those interests, there's a good chance he's interested in hearing what you think about them and that he wants to talk to you about them. And for those areas of your life that are sinful, interests and hobbies and patterns and habits that are actually sinful, the good news is if you've accepted Christ as your savior, he's interested in those too because he's purchased all of you. And if he's interested in what brings you blessing and what brings you joy and what brings you what you recreated for, he's also interested in the opposite of what destroys you, what steals from your life, what will bring harm, and he wants to lead you into all truth in regards to it. And then the third reason he, that he's interested in whatever you're interested in is because he's your father. The Bible says that God is our father, which is why we started with that prayer before I preached our father who art in heaven. One little thing, you can take a few notes. You can write the heading, three keys to, having a boring, to have a boring prayer life. These aren't in your notes, but there'll be a little treasure hunt through my message where you can pick up three times where I talk about boring prayer. Three keys to have a boring prayer life, and here's number one. If you're bored in prayer, it's because you're talking about stuff you ought to talk about rather than what you're interested in. If you're bored in prayer, you're probably talking about stuff you're not interested in. Again, sounds a little selfish, but 
we all know that he it wants to deal with us where we're at and he wants to align our hearts to his desires. So if all of our prayers that we're interested in aren't everything he wants to talk about, as long as we're talking, he's got the power to keep shifting and moving us to where our prayer life should be. So you want to have an interesting prayer life? Talk about the stuff you're interested in with God and see what he has to say about those things. I'm interested in what my kids are interested in. Psalm chapter 103, verse 13. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who reverence him. That means they spend time with God, their father, who is tender and compassionate. He's intimately interested in everything that we are interested in. Those of you who have had, who have had babies, your babies, when they were born, they could do nothing except like what I said last week, eat, sleep, and poop. They couldn't talk. They couldn't communicate love. They couldn't even cling on. But you loved them passionately and would have laid down your life for them at that moment. We love to communicate and express love, and we can't wait for the day when we can communicate back and forth. And we want to know what our kids are interested in and what they want to talk about. He, and God the Father wants to communicate with us. He longs for us to talk with him. How do you learn to pray? Well, how do you learn another language? How do babies learn how to talk? They do a lot by watching people talk, and then they imitate, and then they say beautiful words like, I cannot believe what's going on in our world today because of social media. That's, that's normally the first sentence that comes out of a baby's mouth. <laughs> Not at all. It's messed up. It's da-da, goo-goo, and everybody's clapping their hands and excited on behalf of the baby. If you've ever... Um, I had to go to a speech therapist when I was little, and some of you are saying, obviously. <laughs> but if you've ever had to work with somebody that, that has uh, issues with speech at a young age, if you're a relative or a friend or somebody around them, you're just kind of leaning in and trying to get what they're saying. Like, you just can't understand what they're saying yet. But the parent says, oh, you want more chocolate milk in your favorite sippy cup. Like, they, they get that from the little bit of, of language that comes out. Your father can understand your messed up first prayers. He knows what's on your heart. He knows where he, what is going on within you. And he wants you simply to talk about that and to learn how to speak to him, with him. With God, there's nothing off limits that you can't talk about. Some people think you should only speak about spiritual things. Married couples, if you're not praying together about finances, in-laws, kids, sex, cars, you're missing topics that you should be praying about together because there's, none of that stuff is outside the covenant of what he wants within your marriage together. You don't get to just talk about the things that seem spiritual with God, but all the other stuff that seems more uh, just in the flesh or in the world, you got to work out that out together because he doesn't want to hear about that stuff. Same for you as if you're single, if you're in school, if you're growing up in your major life decisions, there's nothing that's outside his realm of concern. First Corinthians, pardon me, First John 5, verse 14 to 15. That's how you stress out a tech room. You start saying scriptures that aren't next in line. 
1 Corinthians. Sorry up there, everybody. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says this. We can be confident approaching God knowing that he listens to us whenever we ask him for anything according to his will. And since we know that he hears us when we make our requests, then we can be sure that he will answer us. Notice those couple things in there. He listens to us. We know he listens to us and we know he hears us. God always hears you, no matter how loud, how panicked, how stressed, or whatever you feel for emotion going on in your mind. He listens to you, and we can have confidence. Which means that when we pray, God says you pray without shame. We pray without shame. We pray without fear. We pray without hesitation. We pray without embarrassment. That even when we come to him in prayer because we've been convicted of what we've done wrong, we approach boldly him knowing that he is ready to receive us, not checking to see if he's got to the end of the page to see if there's any more room to keep track of all your wrongs. Because there's no room for any more. There's nothing you can say that will have God stop loving you. Nothing that will be too embarrassing to talk about. One thing or two things that can kill your prayer life. I'm talk, I've, I've got you looking for the boring comments on what will make a boring prayer life. But if you want to know how to kill your prayer life, keep nurturing shame and fear. Shame and fear stifle conversation you know it when you're mad angry upset with somebody that that in between area that makes it less comfortable to approach when you have shame and fear with god and you start not to approach him in the midst of that the distance grows greater he hasn't moved anywhere but the distance growing because we're a little harder a little colder shame and fear does that Prayer is, in your notes, prayer is a conversation, not a ceremony. A ceremony is a bunch of rules and restrictions and regulations. I've been in grad ceremonies. I've been in funeral ceremonies. I've been in wedding ceremonies. I remember my kindergarten graduation. Anybody else remember the day you graduated from kindergarten? Yeah. Grad, uh, grade 12 in small town Whitewood. 30 people graduating, the whole town goes on pause, the whole Friday night it's in the school gym, the whole gym is decorated, every graduate gets their own theme song that they get to walk through the, the gym with. You go to Saskatoon and there's 400 or 1,000 graduates, it's like you should just bring a book or read or something, everybody just zip, 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 zip right across in order to get it done in time. But there's a practice to do that. I've been in my own wedding ceremony as I've married my wife but as a pastor I've been a part of many and you practice and you practice people walking down the aisle and you practice where people are going to stand and you practice where who's going to take the mother-in-law and seat her and the mother and seat her and you put marks on the carpet so that those guys that are joking around and finally show up from around the the back of the stage know where to stand I was in one wedding ceremony with my cousins. We uh, did, I performed the ceremony and uh, I was on the platform. They were here. We were in the middle of the vows. We get to the section where it says, may I have the rings, please? So I, op I have my binder open. And as I always did up to that point in the way I did weddings, put my binder out, the, the 
best man put the rings on the binder, at which time one ring proceeded to roll off the binder and hit the ground, which normally isn't a problem, except in this particular church, there was a big steel grate heat vent right over top, underneath where we were going. And so all of a sudden, I interrupted a beautiful, well-going, smooth wedding ceremony with like putting out a fire as I jump on the ring before as it's rolling to the vent. So I've been a part of wedding ceremonies, and I've almost wrecked wedding ceremonies. But there's certain things to do it and to do it right. But prayer is not a ceremony. We get to do it however we can do it. We don't have to just do it right. Here's another key to having a boring prayer life. One of the reasons you're bored with prayer is because you do all the talking and you never listen. How many of you enjoy relationships where the other person does all the talking and you never get a word in edgewise? You can do it. It gets old for a little while, after a little while. And you just have to give room and space for each other to talk back and forth. If you're in prayer with God and all you do is talk and you never listen, you're missing the fun. <laughs> it's, it's one thing to praise or to ask or to do whatever you're doing in your conversation with God. But the creator of the universe is ready to say something back. That's the fun part. That's the exciting part. That's the convicting and life-changing part, is if he gets to say something back. So you're going to have a boring prayer life if you never give him space to speak. Daily, we should be saying, God, is there anything you want to say to me? When you're reading your Bible, when you're praying, maybe you get something out of the scripture. Maybe the spirit impresses something. But you give him some space, and if he says something or doesn't say something, it's okay. You've, done the, you've given him space. Prayer is a conversation. Prayer is a relationship, not a ritual. It's a conversation, not a ceremony. It's a relationship, not a ritual. Here's the final key about boring prayer. If you find that your prayer life is boring, you have misunderstood the point of it. If your prayer life is boring, you do not understand what prayer is actually about. You're talking about things you ought to talk about. You're caught in duty. It becomes a drudgery. I should pray. I have to pray. I ought to pray. And you're missing the point that it's actually an invitation to relationship and conversation rather than just getting work done with the creator of the universe. If you get in that trap, you're not going to pray regularly. You're only going to find yourself praying when you feel guilty or when you know you should and then you pray because you ought to and that works because now you're praying from a guilty mindset. But guilt motivation only lasts as long as the guilt lasts. So even if you suffer with a guilty conscience, you probably don't suffer 24-7. You probably run in stretches of it. So if your prayer life is built on a guilty conscience or just needing to pray because you have to, you'll never find the joy and the freedom. And it'll be boring, it'll be tedious, it'll be work. But rather, God loves it when you talk to him. It's relationship. You don't have to do it a certain way. Over on your page now, God listens to prayers, number two, that are sincere and simple. God listens to prayers that are sincere and simple. 
You don't have to use flowery languages. You don't have to use fancy phrases. You don't have to sound spiritual. You don't have to use big biblical theological terms. You don't have to use religious cliches. The way God wants you to talk with him is the way you would want to be talked to. Gutsy, honest, real, open. It's just about being simple and sincere. I asked permission to share this story. There was a gentleman who used to come to C23. He was in the first service this morning. And uh, C23 is the youth program for ages 4 to 18. And before we had young adults, it was like, pardon me, 14 to 18. (laughs) The youth pastor just freaked out a bit. Not 4 to 18. 14 to 18. It used to be like 14 to 24. But uh, this young man had started coming to C23 on Friday nights. And after the first couple times there, I asked for a volunteer to pray for the night and for the food before we ate. And he threw up his hand. And uh, I said, okay, I didn't know what to expect. And this gentleman sauntered over, took the microphone. And he said, this was Friday, October 31st. Dear God, happy Halloween. It was awesome. (laughs) It was totally awesome. It was simple. It was sincere. It was like from the depths of his heart, he was celebrating a time to be able to have a party. And he just wanted to express that to God, that he would have a great day himself. I didn't correct his theology. I didn't say we don't really say Halloween to God. There's kind of like this side and that side. God, I didn't have to go fix anything. And you know how many other times in the last 10 years he's prayed, dear God, happy Halloween? None. It was a one and done. I'm glad I was there to see it. But it's not like we had a bunch to fix. It was simple and sincere. And that's the way his prayers have always been since then. Honest to, from the heart towards God. God listens to prayers that are sincere and simple. God, I don't feel like talking to you right now. That's a prayer. God, I'm in pain. God, I'm frustrated. God, I'm mad. God, I don't get it. I prayed for this and it didn't happen. Why didn't you answer? Those are all prayers. We get to pray openly and honestly. And if you think that you need to couch your words in some type of language that makes it acceptable towards God, go read the book of Psalms. And a third of the time you'll be shocked because 33% of the Psalms are complaints and gripes towards God from his people. We need to pray, not with phony baloney stuff and religious jargon, but openly and honest. Say this after me. Longer is not stronger. Long-winded prayers, there may be a place for them, but it's probably far less often than what they, when they actually happen. He's looking for honest and to the point. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 and 8 When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who pray just to be seen like men. I tell you the truth, they have received their full reward. So we're not supposed to be like those guys that are praying a performance, using the big displays, using the big long words, using the big long sentences. Instead, when you pray, go into your room, Close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In other words, openly. 
he will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling on and on like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need even before you ask. Longer is not stronger. You can't earn more answered prayer by just praying longer. It's more about passionately and perseverantly. It's not about style and tone and length of words. It's not like you've got to convince God. He already knows what you need. What you're actually doing is not making him aware of the situation, but, making, but uh, you are stepping in, letting him know that you are open to him in this situation, that you want him to intervene. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Let us come near to God with a sincere heart and a sure faith. Sincere heart and sure faith. Two qualifications for prayer, sincerity and simplicity. A sincere heart means, God, I'm not going to talk to you about what I'm not interested in. I'm going to talk to you about where we're at, what's going on. I'm going to talk to you about real life. I'm going to confess it to you. I'm going to talk about when I'm nervous, when I'm worried, when I'm, when I'm ecstatic, when I'm afraid, when I'm confused. That's sincerity. What it is is what it is. No guessing. No putting on facades that I've had a horrible day. My wife just was not pleased with me. I'm talking like a few years ago. This, not every illustration is this week's material, guys. I got to let you know that. My wife is just not pleased with me. Oh, dear God, I thank you for this beautiful woman who never frustrates me either. And I just pray blessing on her when underneath I'm wondering if this is a good time to pray like the psalmist about breaking people's teeth and all that kind of stuff, like <laughs> high levels of frustration. Sorry, that, it was a little strong for what I meant. Um, but it's the only verse that came to mind. More like, God, you see Leah, you love her, I love her. She's frustrated with me, and when she's frustrated with me, I'm actually frustrated with myself. And now I'm really upset because I've let her down, I've let me down, and I feel like I've let you down. Show me how to walk humbly with her in front of you, and what would you have for me? We get to deal with it honestly. We don't have to act like we've got it all together. Sincere heart, open in honesty, and then a sure faith. Back to that point that I said early, earlier, we come to God with confidence. We're not afraid to talk to him. We're not embarrassed to talk to him. We're not hesitant to talk to him. We're not ashamed. He is a father who loves us. He loves, to loves what we're interested in, wants to have us talk to him. So we come to him with confidence because if we choose not to come to him confidently, there's a good chance we're not showing up at all. And we come to him where he's at. So those first, first two truths, God loves for me to talk to him. God listens to prayers that are sincere and simple. And number three, God likes to show his grace by answering prayer. God likes to show his grace. God loves, God listens, God likes. God is a good God. He's a good, good father. He's a gracious father. And God loves to answer prayer because he gets to show what he's really like. Think about that for a second. 
when God answers prayer, you get to see another revelation of his character and what he's willing to step into and how he's willing to intersect with your life and the world around. Everything is in the universe comes from the generosity of God. He wants to be blessing and pouring his influence into the world around us. It gives God opportunity to show who he really is, what he's really like. When you look at this building, some of you who've started attending the Rock Church in the last five years, come here and this looks normal to you. For those of us who've been here longer than that, this used to be a dingy dungeon. Holes through the cement steps walking up. Stucco falling off. Uh, the bathroom less than, less than attractive. And um, awkward building to work through. But when you look at this building, this is a picture of God's grace. Some people would say, well, yeah, should you really have a building that nice in the inner city? As in some people have said it, actually. We've had people walk up and see the sound system and say, we don't even have that nice of a sound system in our church. Interesting statements. So I don't say that to throw anybody under the bus, although it might have sounded that way. I actually say it to give you a picture of just how blessed we are. (laughs) That we get to work with all of this stuff in this beautiful place because God wanted to be gracious and it took people with faith to say, yes, let's go for a $1.6 million renovation when that's more than five years budget combined or three years budget combined at that point in time. And it took people to pray and fast and sacrificially give. And God heard the cry and was able to show, boom, you want to see what I want to do in the lives of people who are broken? First in the natural, then in the spiritual. Look at this place. That's what I want to do in the lives of people is restore that which is broken. Over 20 times in the New Testament, we're commanded to ask. Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. You have not because you ask not. If you ask anything in my name, it shall be given to you. Over 20 times, as a child of God, you are commanded, invited, and told to ask and to pray because he wants to pour out his grace and show you how good he really is. And yes, sometimes God says no. Here's a quick list of some words for you that some of you are going to want to write down. You can go back and watch after again. Sometimes, uh, here's some reasons on why God says no. God says no for our protection sometimes. Just the way a parent says no to a child for what's best for them. God says no for our protection. Sometimes God says no for our direction to keep us on a right path or get us on a path, path. Sometimes God says no for our correction that we have to be corrected and get back on the right course. Protection, direction, correction. Sometimes God says no for our perfection. He says no in order to help us with our character. You see, God is way more interested with your character than with your comfort. And then when he says no to you and you're, you're feeling jilted and adjusted and affected, you actually have to deal with the real issue, not just the give or take or the want of what you didn't get. You actually get to deal with the character of your heart before your father and who, what type of person you're going to be. Whiny, selfish, entitled brat or a child that's growing in relationship and trust. Sometimes it's no for our perfection to help us grow in, correct, in character. And then sometimes God says no for our inspection so that we can, he looks inside of us and he helps us see what we couldn't see inside of ourselves. Sometimes no feels like a time out. 
and you actually have to pause from the plan and you get to reflect and you get some moments to see what's actually going on inside of you. Protection, direction, correction, perfection, and inspection. Sometimes people say, well, God didn't answer my prayer when what they really mean is that God didn't give me what I asked for. No or wait or later or better, those are all answers that don't always feel like I got what I wanted. Here's a definition for, of maturity for you. Maturity is when you realize that God's delays are not always God's denials. That's what's supposed to set human beings, particularly children of God, apart from the rest of, of God's creation, is the ability to wait, to defer, grat- instant, to go from instant gratification to delayed gratification. But we as Christians can sometimes not live in that realm very well. We want instant gratification from what we've prayed and asked God for. Garth Brooks, that theologian, (laughs) said, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. And I would say some of God's unanswered prayers averted some major disasters and trouble in my life. James 4.2 says, you do not have because you ask not. You do not ask. We need to do that. So three things. God loves for me to talk to him about anything. God listens to prayers that are sincere and simple. And three, he likes to show his goodness by answering prayer. Number four, God longs to be close to me. If you don't get anything else from my long-winded sermon today, get this. God longs to be close to me. God longs to be close to you. He actually desires it. If God can, if we can use the phrase, he lives and breathes it, you can know that he lives and breathes to be in relationship with you because he wants to be close to you. Isaiah 30, verse 18. The Lord waits for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion. God is waiting for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion. Sometimes we get mixed up and we think that when we've messed up, God becomes angry with us. But let us remember that God dealt with his wrath on the cross and put it on Jesus. And now as his children, he's simply being a good heavenly father parent. And so when he needs to correct us, he corrects us, but it's done out of love. When he gets to celebrate with us, he celebrates us out of love. It's always done out of love. It's not done out of anger and fury. Some of you know this, last weekend, I, uh, prior to the weekend, I got to fly to Winnipeg to pick up our fourth church van as Bibleville Kids Ministry is growing and we needed more space, which is why um, we're going to say at the end of the service, we need more drivers, stuff like that. But we, I, w- I went to Winnipeg and my hometown of Whitewood is halfway between here and Saskatoon, so I let my parents know that I was going to be there Friday night for supper because the deal was just going to go smoothly. All you businessmen know that as long as you've initiated the deal, it goes perfectly. So the goal was to fly in, get there 10 o'clock at night, be at the dealer at 9 a.m. when they say, test drive it, sign the paper, drive away by noon. So it's quarter to five in the afternoon, and we still haven't quite negotiated the final price. The bank closes at five. Everything's done in time. And uh, the phone call that I made to my parents of I'll be home there by supper time was redone earlier in the day saying, I'm hoping to be there by the time to go to sleep. 
So I get on the road at 6 o'clock and start driving, pull into Whitewood at midnight, and uh, there's my mom tapping her watch. <laughs> You're six hours late from when you said you'd be home, son. Straight to your room. <laughs> Which is confusing because they live in a new house than I grew up in, so... Which room? That wasn't my parents at all. They were actually, there's like the garage door and then there's the door to get into the house. They're both at the garage door. They've swung it open. How is the driver? Are you okay? Come on in. They stayed up for me to get home because they want to talk and visit. There wasn't a lack of food. It's like, do you want leftover supper? Do you want your favorite bologna and tomato sandwich when you come home? What, what can we get you to eat? There's food and there's visiting for an extra half an hour after I get home. Because my parents are just excited that I'm coming. Some of you think God's mad at you because you haven't showed up well for the last number of weeks or months or years. And you think he's tapping your watch saying, it's about time you recognize who I am. No. He's excited about you coming to him. And when we have the picture that he's excited for us to come to him, the more we want to go to him. And the more we're with him, the more relationship and connection. And all of a sudden, we've gone from showing up just before bedtime, God, lay my, as I lay my head to rest, I blah, 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 to where we're actually talking at different points throughout the day. We're actually talking before the decisions are made. We're talking before the situations are happening because we want him in the middle of it, not as an afterthought. But we, we got to get rid of the picture of God being mad at us. Some of you are parents and some of you have had the unique pain of a child who physically or emotionally or mentally cannot communicate. They just don't, aren't able to express words or communicate. That must be very difficult and, and very strenuous. And when you see a family in action like that and you see what connections are able to be made, it's pretty special. Some of you in this room or in our congregation have relationships with children where they won't talk to you. They've cut off. And you know the pain and the suffering that comes from not being able to talk with your children because they won't engage at this time. And we all know that there's a thousand reasons and, and ways that all goes down. I'm not saying it's their fault or whose fault. I'm just saying it doesn't minimize or reduce the pain when you can't communicate. That's the way God feels. That's the type of pain when we're not in conversation with him and when we don't spend time with him. When we don't share that this is what I'm feeling. I need you. I love you. I don't understand. I'm confused. I'm frustrated. I'm excited. Look at these kids you gave me and how great they're doing. Look at these kids you gave me and how are you going to help with them? Don't cut your father off. The God who created you. The God who sees you. The God who made you. He loves you through it all. John 15, 15, an amazing verse. I don't call you servants. I call you my friends. That's our God. Are you kidding me? He wants that kind of close relationship. And we're acting like he's yesterday's news. We're a little busy, God. God, forgive me. I'm not, as I said before, I'm preaching to myself about this and my lack and struggle with prayer all, all these years. There is nothing more important than having a life that's being lived in harmony with God's design for you in relationship. That's why we're doing this emphasis right now, 40 days of prayer, is because we want to get into it. We want to go after it. And so there's two things we need for it. We need to desire it and make time for it. 
So these two verses, Psalm 25, 14 and James 4, 8. Psalm 25, 14. Friendship with God is reserved for those who reverence him. With them, he shares the secrets of his covenant. Friendship is with God is reserved for those who reverence him. With them, he shares the secrets of his covenant. You all remember the best friends passing a note, don't show anybody? All that kind of stuff. Like, that's the kind of intimate stuff. It's just you and me. Let's talk this out. Let me share. Let me show. We got to desire it. We got to want that friendship. And then we got to make time for it. James 4, 8. Draw close to God and God will draw close to you. That's a promise. Over these next weeks of 40 days of prayer, we're going to hopefully go into a bunch of benefits. We're going to hopefully blow up wrong thinking and wrong mentalities and wrong beliefs. But here's one for you today on your last blank. I'm not missing the last blank two weeks in a row. The closer I am to God, the less stressed and the more blessed I'll be. You want to be closer with God? Expect less stress because you're being held. Still going to have difficult situations, still things to figure out. But you're going to have less stress and the blessing isn't just, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just my mentality. We can project, oh, blessings in the church. That just means more money, more this, more that. No, it means relationship with God. Intimacy with each other. Hopefully financial blessing. Hopefully wisdom. Hopefully direction. Hopefully knowing how to use our gifts. Those are all blessings. It's not just, if I do this, I'll get material wealth for blessing. The entire time of this prayer emphasis is to deepen your relationship with God. You need to know Him better. You need to get closer. He is waiting and wanting you to be in relationship, a closer relationship, and nothing is off limits. Everybody say, nothing is off limits talking to God. Would you pray with me? And just before we pray, I'd like you to picture God Almighty and yourself as a child. This time I'm not asking you to picture him on a throne in heaven in all his royal splendor. I'm asking you to picture a comfortable living room where God is sitting on a used lazy boy. Where you have come home. And he's been waiting at the door and he's just wanting to talk and he's counting down the minutes and the hours. He's been counting down the weeks till you come. And he just wants to visit and he's the most comfortable to, re- to visit with. And yes, he has some strong words, but they're shared in love in those difficult times. Heavenly Father, forgive us for when we viewed you as some type of ogre that we need to please by offering certain contrite words where we don't bring our true and open and honest self to you. For where we've made it boring because we haven't talked about what's of interest or we think it's a formula or we miss the point of the relational part so God we're asking you to heal our hearts in regards to how we converse and have relationship with you and so would you do that work in our lives over the next next uh, days and weeks ahead you want us and today we say we want you fear and shame won't keep us from you God we step into being a child of you, a child of God, in Jesus' name.